As Jude said, uh, we've been looking um, at Elijah uh, on, on a Sunday night with the Christian young people. And it's actually just uh, an amazing, amazing story. Uh, and uh, it's one of those things that um, as, you, as you go through it and as you read it, you're just sort of blown away with just like how much is there in there. If you've got your Bibles or your Bible apps, um, get it open at uh, 1 Kings uh, chapter 16, verse 30. But basically, in the next like 10 minutes or so, we're going to be whistle-stop touring through like the end of 16, chapter 17, chapter 18, into chapter 19. So it'll be going all over the place a little bit. Um, But it'll be good to to have your your finger in it or at least have it vaguely right. So that's 1 Kings, end of chapter 16, around about, uh, yeah, verse 30 is where we're going to start. uh, but just as the first thing you need to know about Elijah is just like, wow, you know, he uh, is an amazing, amazing guy. Like, we're not even going to go through today the fact that he didn't actually die and he went up to heaven in a chariot. But just throw that out there. But actually, um, one of the things that we also we hear about is that um, his name means the Lord, he is the real God. The Lord, he is the real good God. Uh, and I think part of the reason he got that name uh, was because we sort of feel like people like prophets of God, they must have been like so close with God. You know, how could they possibly forget it? You know, a bit like maybe a bit like Adam and Eve. They're just wandering around with God all the time. They just see God, feel God, just fully with God, like... It must have been so easy for them. I don't think that was like that for Elijah at all. If we look at his life, we see he actually struggled a lot of the time. And probably his name was just to be remembered. God is real. God is real. You know, the stuff that's happening, God is real. Um, Jude, are you going to come and read the first verse for us? We're starting in 1 Kings 16, verse 30 to 33. Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. He not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, but he also married Jezebel, daughter of Ethbal, king of the Sidonians, and began to serve Baal and worship him. He set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal that he built in Samaria. Ahab also made an Asherah pole and did more to arouse the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than did all the kings of Israel before him. So, yeah, so, sort of setting the scene that uh, the people of Israel were governed by kings, but some of these kings were evil. One of the worst ones was, was this king Ahab. He did um, basically every sin imaginable, uh, including worshipping Baal. Um, Baal was often sort of represented as like a sort of a, a bull-headed or, or a man with bull horns. Um, and sort of there's a link there that sort of points us towards, you know, hundreds of years before where the people uh, of God in the Exodus actually, when times got tough and they, they lost their sight of God, they made that, that golden calf idol and went to worship there. So that was always just around this sort of whole... Uh, thing because Baal was really like the god of of fertility of the seasons of bringing rain helping crops grow and that was very much you know life and death stuff you know there wasn't 
Tesco's and Sainsbury's supermarkets around the corners. If your crops didn't grow, you didn't eat. You know, and that was the sort of situation they were at. So that's why these, these false prophets and false gods had sort of so much power. Because, you know, nothing sort of radiates the mind a little bit more than being hungry. If you don't eat, you, you know, everything goes wrong. Uh, but Elijah uh, knew God, knew the real God. And God gave him a hard message to give the king. Basically to say that you're evil, you're leading God's people astray, and I'm going to take away the rain. I'm going to send a famine. And so, you know, he brought this uh, message, but it was never really going to go down too well because, you know, King Ahab was all about worshipping Baal, the fertility god, whatever. And it was a bit of a like, not only are you telling me that I'm evil and I can't do whatever I want, I'm the king, you're now saying that you're going to, you know, there's not going to be any rain. Well, I worship Baal, and he brings the rain. So what are you talking about? Uh, and he was married to, um, uh, I always forget her name. I always want to call her Bathsheba. Jezebel. Uh, Jezebel. And she was a bit of a self-appointed Asherah superfan. Now, Asherah was another false god. Um, and she sort of personally supported it, said, the 400 prophets of Asherah fed from her table. I don't know quite how, I don't think she was out in the cook, kitchen cooking. I think it basically meant she sort of sponsored them. You know, they were like her personal false prophets that, you know, 400 of them that went around. And basically they set up these Asherah poles in places of honour. And it was all about just trying to lead the whole people of God away from what they should be doing, away from the real God into serving these false gods and just getting involved in sin and idolatry and just turning their back on God. Uh, but it wasn't, and so the people of God, you know, had really rejected, really rejected God. And, you know, I think it would have made Elijah sort of just despair. You know, he's called, you know, his name is, uh, you know, God is real. Um, but actually, everybody's just looking at all these fake gods and just sort of thinking, you know, what are we going to do? Um, but like I said, Elijah was just a normal person. Sometimes we think when we see about the amazing things we did, again, I'm not even going to look at it, but later on in his life, you know, he was being chased by 50 guards and he was able to summon down God's fire from heaven and basically just napalmed them out of existence. But Elijah wasn't superhuman. It says in the Bible in James uh, chapter 5, verse 17, it says it really matter-of-factly, it says, Elijah was a human being, even as we are. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. Uh, I wonder if we can put ourselves in Elijah's shoes or sandals as it was, I guess. How would we feel when basically everybody is turning their back on God? The, the king and the queen are all about these false idols. And then they say, actually, we're going to start killing everybody who believes in God, particularly those who talk about God, God's prophets. And um, Elijah just basically had to, to turn and, 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 and fled. You know, he just had to rush off into the desert. He knew that if he, he stayed, he was going to die. Uh, and, you know, he probably was just completely despairing 
you know, is God real? Have I got this wrong? Have I got this off that? Everybody else is, you know, doing their own thing and, and I'm just sort of feeling on my own, feeling completely, literally alone. Um, but God led him into the desert and he led him to a place you wouldn't expect to find in the desert. You think of deserts, you don't think of where God led him. God led him to a river, a river in a desert when God had just started a famine. And, you know, that's an amazing provision. But after a few days, you're thinking, oh, fantastic. I'm not, there's nobody here about to kill me. I've got something to drink. But then your stomach starts to rumble. You can only drink water for so long uh, before you're going to get hungry. And, uh, you know, what was he going to do? There's nobody around. He couldn't go to any villages or he's going to get put to death. And literally, God, again, did something amazing. It talked about how God sent ravens, birds, that literally dropped bread into his lap. I mean, that is completely, completely dumbfounding. Um, and again, how would we feel about this? You know, just like, I, I don't know how we would feel, but actually, would we feel completely ecstatic about it? We probably would, to begin with. But very soon, he'd feel lonely. He'd feel like, what am I doing stuck here on my own? Uh, it's very, you know, a very challenging situation. And then maybe we get into a routine and we're just like, he's getting used to it. That's his life. He's on his own. He's a bit of a hermit. The, you know, the, the Uber Eats delivery of birds just dropped the bread along and he sort of settles into a pattern. Uh, but then the stream dries up. Is God real? What's going on? He led me out here. But then he gets a sense that he has to go and find uh, a widow. He travels for quite a long way and he turns up at this village. And um, he finds the widow and says to the widow, remember this is a time of famine. It doesn't say exactly how long he'd been by the river, but the whole famine lasted for seven years so it was somewhere within that period so it could have been a number of years but certainly the famine had really hit because the, the woman the widow basically said you know I'm just on my last dregs I've just got a little bit of flour a little bit of oil I'm going to make some bread and I'm going to die you know I'm going to make a little loaf for my son and I then I'm going to die um, but God gave him a really bizarre message and she's going to read the next bit for us uh, this is in 1 Kings 17, verse 12, if you're following along. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid, go home and do as you've said, but first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me and then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. To her credit, sort of rather than thinking that this sort of dusty man who must have smelt pretty bad he'd been living by a river that had dried up and then he'd had to travel through the desert in the middle of a famine rather than thinking this sort of stinky unkept you know unshaven guy 
was delirious through, you know, lack of food and drink. She did actually go and, and make the bread, which is a pretty amazing thing to do. And you probably all know the story, you've heard it, that the, the, the flour and the oil didn't dry up, it didn't, it didn't end up. Um, but we don't, we don't know exactly how long that, that lasted, but we do know that, that after a while, uh, she came to, um, to Elijah. And remember that had Elijah not turned up, she literally was going to make that last bit of bread, give it to her son, and was expecting to die. Um, but actually, she very soon, well, not very soon, at some point, she came and basically said, Elijah, I wish you'd never come. And we, we read on in the next bit of the story uh, what happens. Yeah. Uh, 1 Kings 17, verse 17 to 24. Sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. She said to Elijah, what do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? Give me your son, Elijah replied. He took him from her arms, carried him to the upper room where he was staying and laid him on his bed. Then he cried out to the Lord, Lord, my God, have you brought tragedy even on this widow I'm staying with by causing her son to die? Then he stretched himself out on the boy three times and cried out to the Lord, Lord, my God, let this boy's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah's cry and the boy's life returned to him and he lived. Elijah picked up the child and carried him down from the room into the house. He gave him to his mother and said, look, your son is alive. Then the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you're a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. It's easy to, to judge the, the widow um, for needing not just one amazing miracle, but, but two, before she actually recognised God. Um, but let's remember, her son had just died. Uh, you know, she's in emotional distress, grief, anguish. Um, she must, it must have just been completely overwhelming, let alone the fact that she's living in a time of, of famine, just with a small safety net, you know. It didn't say that the jar suddenly became massive, it just said it didn't run out. So you're always looking at that little dreg thinking, you know, is it gonna last, is it gonna last? And uh, even in the smaller stuff in our lives, we often lose perspective. Um, you know, maybe we can't find a parking space or, or it rains, you know, when we've got plans and we can, you know, really get like upset about it, get angry or get sort of frustrated and just feel like everything's going against us. Um, if you've got time at some point, do a social media search for, for people um, ungrateful about Christmas presents. You'll see, um, you know, people smashing mobile phones because it wasn't the, the version of the mobile phone they're expecting. Um, you'll see kids having temper tantrums because there isn't enough wrapped presents under the tree. They've counted them and there's only 15 and last year they got 20 or whatever. Um, or my personal favourite, which was uh, a team who allowed their brand new Audi car to roll into a river because it wasn't a Mercedes-Benz. Um, Elijah's response to this, this death, you know, is... It's quite interesting, you know, he's living with this family and, you know, it must have been a shock for him as well. He's clearly in, in anguish and he's questioning 
questioning God, uh, even though what God's brought him through. Uh, but he just gets real with God. He knows God is real. He's crying. He's, you know, I'm trying to picture the scene. Like he carries the, the, the kid upstairs. He lies him down and he's just like stretching out. He's just like, oh God, you know, this, this boy, this boy, you know. And, you know, an amazing miracle. God brings him back to life. But it was the reality of that anguish that, that God heard. It said that, that God heard his cries. You know, so much stuff in Elijah's life. Fast forward a bit, uh, we get to the, probably the most famous bit in Elijah, which is basically the big barbecue standoff between the prophets of Baal and, and God. There's this massive sort of pile of sticks, and appropriately, because Baal is a horned god, um, Elijah says that here's a bull, you know, sacrifice it. There's 450 prophets, I think, of Baal. Um, and they're like, you sacrifice the bull, put it on the, the big altar of all these sticks, and then call on Baal to send the fire. You know, Elijah is just like, you know, enough is enough. People of God, you're either going to serve all these false gods, Baal and Asherah and all the others, or you're going to serve God, the real God. We're going to find out which is true. So Elijah had his altar over here, his bull over here. But he allowed the prophets of Baal to go first and they made a real song and dance, literally, you know, chanting. It said they cut themselves, they were crying out. There was a lot of them and they were going on and on and on. And it said they did this all day long. I don't know, five, six, seven, eight hours, just going through all this stuff. And the people of God seeing this, it said basically... Like everyone had been called, you know, everybody who was anyone in the land was there to, to see, you know, representatives of all the different households around. And, it, you know, it wasn't like today where there's like millions of people. There's probably like, you know, 10, 15,000 people in the nation or something. Um, it says later on that, you know, God said there are 7,000 people that still follow me in the, in the land. So we don't know exactly, but a lot of people in this situation and the false gods don't make it work when push comes to shove they didn't bring the rain they didn't bring the fire and Elijah instead you know really like heaped on pressure you know he, he, he shouted insults is your god asleep you know there's, there's bits in commentaries that say it's almost a bit like it talks about is your is your God gone out? You know, somebody says that that it could be a polite way of saying is your God on the toilet? You know, is he indisposed at the moment? You know, and these are people that are wanting to kill him, and it really is you know do or die for Elijah. Um, if he doesn't come up with the goods, if God doesn't answer his prayers, you know, it's not going to go well for him. But we all know how the story ends. We all know the real ending of the story. And God does send the fire. You know, they chucked water all over it, and it just, you know, God didn't do a half message. He just, just completely obliterated it and just showed he really was God. And that feels like that should be the end of the story. That should feel like that's the crescendo. That's the big point in Elijah's life. But it's not. Very soon afterwards... He's fleeing again, fleeing for his life again. 
King Ahab uh, and uh, Jezebel are still trying to get him killed. Yes, the, the prophets of Baal ended up getting killed by the people who turned back to God, but actually, um, you know, he's back out somewhere in the middle of nowhere. And um, just the last verse to look at, Jude's going to read in uh, 1 Kings 19, verse 3 to 9. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Bathsheba in Judah, he left his servant there. While he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush, sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he travelled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. After the, you know, amazing high, you know, you couldn't get much. We've seen lots of lows in Elijah's life, but probably couldn't get much higher than, you know, standing there and asking God to bring the fire, and he does it in such an amazing way. But then, again, we've seen this low coming straight afterwards. You know, he actually is probably at the lowest point in his life, you know, and he's had some lows, as we've already said. He just wants to lie down and die. God's response is not an angry one or one of disappointment. God is kind and compassionate. He knows just what Elijah needs. And Elijah needs a snack and a nap. Actually, what's better than a snack and a nap? Two snacks and two naps. And, you know, maybe we can all learn from that sometimes. We need to allow to be kind to ourselves, allow others to be kind to us. Sometimes... We're giving out so much, we just need to have a bit of rest. And uh, I think maybe Elijah must have been a bit of a a bread connoisseur because three times uh, we've seen that Elijah has miraculously been given life-sustaining bread by ravens from a a jar of flour and oil from a, a widow that the jar never gives up. And then finally here again uh, from an angel. But we're more blessed than Elijah because if we look at John 6, verse 35, then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Elijah's bread that he received miraculously only sustained him for a day at a time. We have lifelong, everlasting bread. Elijah's bread that he got from the angels sustained him for a journey to Horab, the mountain of God, where from a cave he witnessed a mighty wind that broke rocks, then an earthquake, then a fire. But God was not in any of those powerful demonstrations. Instead, the Lord spoke to Elijah in a gentle whisper. But even that was too much for Elijah. He says he had to cover his face with a cloak. Because again, we we know from 
the Bible in Exodus 33, verse 20, the people of the Old Testament couldn't look upon the face of God and live. But we get to look in the eyes of Jesus and see the real God. This doesn't mean that we get to only live life of, of highs. We're not immune from the lows, but we can hold on to the truth of Romans 8 and verse 39 that says, No power in the sky above or in the earth below, indeed nothing in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Even though we are new creations, we are like Elijah, still human beings. We experience all our emotions, we lose perspective, we forget our blessings, have times when we're tired, hungry, frightened, have low self-esteem, suffer from mental ill health, and everything else that comes from being alive. But because Christ lives in us, we know just not just from head knowledge that the name of Elijah means the Lord, he is real. We know it because it is our lived reality. Thank you.